0: Good morning, family. For those of you that don't know, I'm Nicole. Um, I was, hi, I know you, Gary. Um, so I was able, given the opportunity to lead a trip of 12 of us, a group of 12 of us, up to Alaska. Forgive me, we got home yesterday morning. a very long set of flights. Um, could everybody that went that's here please stand up? just so you guys can kind of get some faces. Turn around, say hi. 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 All right, so before you sit, so anybody that has not been on a trip before this, please remain standing. So like Laura, you can sit. Joe, stand back up. <laughs> so you guys can sit down. We had about half the team um, who has never gone on a mission trip before, which for me was actually a huge blessing. We sang a little bit earlier about the evidence of God's goodness, his fulfilling promises. Um, About 15 years ago, I was actually given just this dream, this hope, this desire to be able to take teams of people who had never been out before onto short-term missions to kind of just expose them to what else is in the world. Um, I didn't expect that it would be (laughs) within the United States, but it was in the continental U.S., so still really cool, um, and you guys will hear a little bit more about how the Lord was working through that as we go, but I wanted to kind of break down a little bit of what we did. While we were up there, uh, we partnered with a church in a place called Talkeetna. Everything up there is hard to pronounce. Um, It's a lot like here. We walked in and it was like, oh, we know churches this size. We wound up sleeping in. I think the guys slept in a sanctuary a little bit smaller than this. All of the women were in a nursery about the size of ours. So. Uh, there was a total of 28 people. We were able to partner with a church from Colorado that had 11 teens and two adults. So, lots and lots of folks the whole time, um, which is really funny because most of our team is a bunch of introverts. So everywhere you look, there's people. <laughs> They're all introverted, um, but God's grace was definitely on the team. We didn't have a lot of interpersonal difficulties. We didn't. We just. We didn't have it. We got to work on Sunday started right out of the gate fixing things and like anybody that owns a building knows that stuff breaks um, and sometimes you can't get to it so we did a lot of I think Andrew fixed an emergency door that took a while because the crash bar didn't work and we replaced windows and we cleaned so much um, and then we kept on cleaning the whole week because there was 30 people living in a church. so that was that was a lot of Sunday. It was just kind of laying the groundwork, getting used to this is missions, this is what we do. We we go, we roll with the punches, we may stay in an airport for 10 hours waiting to get picked up, and we will play games and wander around and see all of the things that are currently closed and still have a great time. Um, so we went from Sunday, we moved on, found a little bit bu- found out a little more of what we were doing. We expected to go up and to build a playground. Turns out we weren't able to do that because lots and lots of parts were missing. We were going to um, finish fixing a fence. (laughs) Turns out it was put in completely wrong, so we didn't finish the fence. We redid the whole fence, Um, but a lot of it we saw the Lord laying the foundation for more teams to be able to come in and kind of jump off of where we were, which was really, really cool. Most of what our church did, we kind of split a bit, so The Colorado team kind of stayed at the church. We were able to go to the pastor's house and spend so much time um, doing a number of things. What's our our next picture? So we did lots and lots and lots of splitting wood. Most of you guys who follow any of the social media have seen this. This is the pile that we started with. So when we got there, that's what was set to go. Go ahead. That is about – Six cords of wood, um, full cords, not face cords. The pastor had committed to a ministry to provide ten cords throughout the summer. That was his goal. We're gonna we're gonna cut, split, stack ten cords. What happens is up there, a lot of folks heat with wood. It gets very cold. They were telling us that for like two or three solid months, it's like negative twenty, negative thirty, as the high. And so there's a ministry up there that they give wood to folks that don't have access necessarily. We found out that. Um, for a very small house, probably a third the size of this room, a cord will last them all winter if things are done well. And so 10 cord, ten cords is a lot. Um, he didn't know how he was going to do it. They expected us to do, like, maybe a cord through the week. We got two done on Monday and then just kind of kept going. We didn't really stop. Um, and still we were able to, again, find ways to keep things rolling for the next team, getting, you know, brush and stuff cleared. It was a lot of clearing brush. It was a lot of, if we go back to that picture of Jose, he knew how to do this, but teaching kids how to split wood the old-fashioned way, using an ax and a mall, um, they had a great time. And we just, we did this for a number of hours every day. Uh, Elizabeth, I think there's one. So you'll see Natalie and Josiah, our youngest team members, just went nonstop. They were amazing. I remember one of the first days just kind of encouraging them, like, guys, this is, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of potentially unsafe stuff going on. You've got chainsaws running. You've got splitters running. You've got, there's massive pieces of wood being taken down and moved. And like, if we're going to get stuff finished, then we need to know that you guys are, okay and doing what you've got to do like we can't sit there every couple minutes and say hey can you do this can you do that and they jumped in both feet the whole time I don't know how they're still standing because they just went and went and went and every time I turn around they're finding something else to do some way to help whether it's grabbing a bottle of water whether it's moving wheelbarrows full of split wood whether it's climbing on that massive stack to throw pieces it was hilarious Natalie's up there like throwing pieces on the t- I know it was tall, um, to get to the top of that stack of wood. Like they just went the entire time. Um, and so it was fantastic to see them step up and take that, 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 um, that step into maturity, to choose to see the need and then meet the need without being told. Um, oh so, hi. absolutely. <laughs> so while most of us were doing this stuff, um, there were a few other things going on as well. Um, Melanie, Laura, Steph, Jocelyn at various points were serving the pastor's family. Uh, they have six under the 10. The oldest one is 10. Um, so <laughs> they've got lots of kids and, you know, it's are they're, they're kids. They're little, they take energy. And so, we had, we had a list of things that we wanted to get done as, as a, a team, you know, ministries that we wanted to reach out to, and the family was one, just one complete, like, we want to minister to them, we want to equip and help support these pastors that are reaching into this community that has so much need, which you'll hear about in a few minutes, um, and so you guys were, I don't even know, organizing homeschool rooms, painting stuff in the house, just loving the pastor's wife well, and giving her a little bit of a break so that she'd be able to jump back in and do the ministry stuff. What's next, Elizabeth? I don't remember. Steph was painting, I'm going to get his name wrong, Norman. Hey, I got it. Called him Norris the whole day. I was wrong. So Steph will explain a little bit more about this, but she spent over 20 hours painting this moose. She would wake up and start painting. I think at one morning she was like, it was 6 a.m., and she's out there like going to town, We're all rolling out of bed, stumbling in, and she's like, hi, good morning. She's painting away. Um, Did an amazing job. They are super excited. This will be auctioned off. The money that is made from this moose will then be put in for a scholarship for some of the local high school students, some of the local seniors. Uh, And so this was on the church's heart to be able to do to bless their community. And they were like, hey, we have this art project. And I went, Steph, art things. And she knocked it out of the park. Um, And if we keep going, our final day was spent, one one of our final days, we were able to actually get out into Alaska. This is at a place called Hatcher Pass, um, which was we got to see a lot of God's goodness and his grace over keeping us safe, keeping us energized, having a great dynamic within the group. And I don't think anybody yelled. I don't think anybody, if we got mad, nobody knew about it. Um, just in a, we had a lot of grace for each other, and that was the Lord's hand in organizing how we were, but to be able to go out and be on these mountaintops and dip in toes in glacial water, which I don't recommend if you have bad knees, um, Natalie just walked across an iceberg at one point. She was like, I'm just going to go, and then she went, um, and so it was a great time of relaxation to be able to see God's manifest beauty in creation and what he was doing there. Um. I don't remember what was next. So we have Deirdre, who's going to come up and talk for a second. I will tell you, severe introvert. We had a project that needed to be done. There was a garage door that they were taking out to convert into a food pantry. uh, So there's a lot of poverty in Alaska. The church's hope and goal and desire is to feed people, but they need to have the facilities to do it. And so they're taking out this garage door. They were going to put in shelves and create a food pantry so people can come when they need to and grab food. And I looked at Deirdre and said, "All right, you're running this." And I did and then we left. So Deirdre was at the church, and our team left to cut wood. So she's going to talk to you a little bit about that.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was put in charge of this, and I was really nervous to do so because I don't like taking charge of things, and i I feel like I'm more of a follower. <laughs> and so I was really nervous to do this, but When it came to the end and it was complete, I was really happy that I was given this responsibility because I felt like the reward of completing something and feeling like it was my own project. Hi guys, so (laughs) there's me cleaning the church because I had pneumonia not that long ago, so a lot of the wood splitting and those jobs would have been very difficult. I did split wood for a couple of days there, but not very much. So, I'm talking about the poverty that's in Alaska. So, for me, when I think of Alaska, I think of like mountains, dog sledding, a lot of the pretty parts of Alaska. And when we got there, we were pulling through the little town when we were on our big van that <laughs> fit all of us. Um, we saw a lot, a lot of homelessness, which is, I mean, it's expected because there's homelessness everywhere, but I didn't expect to see that much. And a lot of the church's job is to for outreach to the community, which Nicole talked about a little bit. But the people that we're, like, ministering to really struggle on a daily basis with whether it's the winters, because Alaskan winters are insane. It's, like, freezing, which is probably known, but... That's what we did with the wood and the cleaning the church. So there's showers in the church, and those are a big deal to the community because widows can come in and use them. And I cleaned the showers, vacuumed the floors. That's basically what I did for the remainder of the time other than splitting wood. But there's the food pantry. That church has an amazing connection to the community, because that's the one place that a lot of their kids and the families can just go to and know there's a safe place. So I think that's pretty much what I have to talk about. Who's next?
0: Here we go.
2: Hi, so um, we got there And my dad had been um, telling me he was going to give me some money. So he gave me some money to give just as I saw a need. And I was really excited. If anybody knows me at all, they know that, like, money burns a hole in my pocket. (laughs) So, like, right away, Sunday morning, they were – we had the service and we had worship and everything. And I was, like, trying to pay close attention to what was going on in their community, in their service, because I wanted to know, like, where can I give this money? I had um, a $100 – in my pocket I was like looking around like who can I give this money to you know <laughs> and so um, the only thing that really stood out to me was that they were gonna do a parade and reach out to um, their community that they haven't done parades before in the past so this was kind of a new thing for them and um, so I was like okay well maybe I can like give them money to I don't know give out resources or decorate their parade or whatever so that's what I did I tracked down the girl and I gave it to her she's like oh okay I And she walked away. And um, a few minutes later, then Nicole's like, hey, Steph, you've got to paint this moose thing. I was like, what? I didn't know what what in the world she was talking about. And the lady um, who was tasking me with painting the moose was like, oh, we're going to need, like, some money for, like, paint and stuff. And this other lady that I had just given that money to walked up. She's like, I have this money that we could use. So uh, my dad ended up paying for paint for me to use to paint the (laughs) moose, which was really kind of funny. And... um, So that was like the first thing and I didn't think I was going to go all that way and spend the whole week like painting and praying and um, especially like I spent every morning doing that while my team was out like cutting wood and Jocelyn was cleaning the church. (laughs) Um, And I was, you know, if you know me at all, like I'm very artsy, but I tend to like downplay that or I used to tend to downplay that a lot and say, you know, it's just like kind of a frivolous thing you do in your spare time. But the Lord really places a lot of um, importance on using your creative gifts. Like, that is what he did, you know, when they went into battle. He put the musicians, the artists, out front. Like, they went first. And he places a ton of importance on it because it ushers in the spirit of God. And where the spirit of God is, there's freedom, right? So, like, I really felt like I had this – unique position where I was able to act kind of in a, on a priestly role of like praying and preparing the spiritual ground while everybody was out like doing a lot of the practical things and uh, I got to hear um, over here a ton of conversations from our our team leader Adam who was there through praying Pelican um, he would talk to people in the community who were like thank you so much for what you're doing and I was like, I got to be ears in the room, like, listening to these amazing conversations. People were so grateful, and I got to hear, like, him coordinate with other missionaries and other trips and stuff that they're doing. So I felt like I got to see kind of behind the veil of leadership and behind the veil of of what God's doing that you don't always know about or you don't always hear about. And um, anyway, so I spent a lot of time, obviously, like 20 hours between the moose and then we made – big uh, sign for their float that had their church logo on it, and that's on my Facebook page. That was a lot of fun, but the kids kind of finger-painted the background, and it was was really cool, but um, I really felt like the Lord was moving a lot, and he was speaking to me a lot um, just regarding, like, preparing spiritual ground and how important that is, and um, I felt like that was kind of, like, my role there this week, and it was a privilege. I felt incredibly privileged to have that, and be able to do that and to bless the community, but we didn't find out that the money from the Moose was going toward um, providing scholarships for high schoolers until like the very last day that we're there, and I was just like, awesome. (laughs) I want to follow whoever gets the money from this scholarship. I just want to like follow that kid around their life and see what they do with their life, and um, at, at the end, after it was all done, the Moose, we signed our names kind of on the edges, and like people wrote like encouraging messages, so Whoever actually ends up buying the moose and having it is gonna look at it and see like all this writing, and I pray that you know you never know what you wrote that could sow a seed into somebody's life that could draw them to the Lord. So, um, it was a really cool week. I mean, we did a ton of stuff, but this is just one one aspect. So, the other story I want to tell you that um, at the end of the week I still had a hundred dollars left <laughs> to give, and I was like, God, I want to give this, and He's like give it to, give it to um, the pastor's wife to use creatively because like I said, like this is how God's been using me this week. So I was gonna buy her like yarn or something to like make hats for her kids in the winter or whatever, but she didn't do that. So she happened to stop by the church right before we were about to leave. And I talked to her about what she does creatively and she was like, oh gosh, I haven't done anything for myself in like 10 years. It's been like nursing babies and changing diapers. And I said, okay, so, well, what did you do before you had kids? And she said, well, I always did music, and I always sang. And I remember overhearing her talk to April about how she was getting back into um, worship ministry and that they really needed, like, some worship leadership um, to be built up in that church, and so she was going to give that a shot. And so um, April said that she took this uh, worship leadership coaching course, Um, that was $97 for an entire year's subscription. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy her that subscription. And so this was like beyond um, when we were already gone. And so I sent her a text message, and her name is Sophie. And I said, Sophie, I want to – I told her who I was because she probably didn't know. I said, I want to bless you with this uh, worship leadership coaching subscription for a whole year, and that will like equip you so that you can do the thing that you're hoping to do. And hopefully it will fill you back up to – you seem like you know you've been through just raising kids, and by the time that's over—or not over—but by the time you're through the, the <coughs> excuse me, more intense part of it, <coughs> um, you just feel depleted. You just don't. You need to be filled back up, you know. And I remember being in that position myself. And um, she sent a message back and and was completely blown away. She said, "This is a huge answer to prayer." I've been um, like researching, coaching courses, and there's so many, and I didn't know which one to pick, and, like, she recognized some of the um, people who would be leading the coaching courses, so she was, like, super excited and just, like, blessed, beyond blessed, so that was really cool, so those are my two big stories there. <laughs> <coughs>
3: Wow, what a a privilege um, to have you guys share with us. We're grateful for the team that was willing and able to go um, and also grateful to everyone in the church who supported them financially and and in other ways. Um, It was really a blessing uh, to them. This morning, we're going to close our service um, by taking a few minutes to uh, share communion together. The ushers will come down and move the communion table here. Have you ever really thought about communion and what this is? We do typically once a month, first Sunday of the month, we typically have communion together. Have you ever thought about what it is and why we do it? I grew up in a church. I grew up in this church uh, with a lot of the same traditions, uh, you know, every month, every year, uh, for as long as I've been here. In fact, I was thinking about it, I think I can um, recite from memory Pastor Chris's, uh, normally when he gives the communion, he says, and on the night the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he passed it out. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <clears throat> I don't even have to think about it. I just, I've just heard him say it so many times. I know sort of the steps of communion. And maybe you're in a similar place. Maybe you grew up going into a church, maybe this church or another similar church, where you've done this many, many times. And so it can feel kind of routine. It's what we do when the communion table is up and the pastor says it's time to, to take the elements and pass them. Have you ever really thought about it? Like, what is this and why do we do that? That's what I want to talk about. <clears throat> Think about this. If you were new to church, and maybe some of you fall in this category, where this is new to you, and we're saying that the, the bread and the juice here that are up front, represent the body and the blood of Jesus. So if you're new, what you're hearing us say is we're about to eat the body and drink the blood of our leader. That's kind of weird. Let's just be honest. That's a little weird. Would you guys agree that's kind of odd? It, if I was in a different group, not a church, and they said that, that would freak me out a little bit, right? That would, <laughs> that would be normal to be I freaked out about that. So I want to take a minute And explain why this, even though it's a little weird, why this is so important to us as believers. Communion is important because communion is a celebration of our freedom. Communion is a celebration of our freedom. You and I were set free by the sacrifice of Jesus. And when we remember his sacrifice, we celebrate the freedom that he bought for us. This, as you know, is a Fourth of July weekend. It's a weekend when we celebrate our country's freedom and, and independence. Um, we remember the, the wars and the, those who sacrificed, that we could have our freedom. And we celebrate the, things that we, the freedom that we do have. And so it's similar to that. We not only remember the price that was paid, but we also enjoy and appreciate what was bought for us. So this tradition of taking communion, of gathering together and sharing the elements, this tradition goes back to the very beginning of Christianity, back to the very beginning. Before the church was even formed, this was started by Jesus himself. We call it communion. Um, It's also... uh, often referred to as the Lord's table or the Lord's Supper. Uh, and when I say the Lord's Supper, uh, maybe you have an image. Uh, there's a, that famous painting where Jesus is in the center and he's got disciples on either side, and that's the, la- the Last Supper. And that's where this tradition comes from, It's from that story of wh- when that happened. So I want to look at that really quickly, make just a couple of quick points. Um, that story uh, is found a couple of places in the gospel. I'm going to look at Mark 14, uh, where the very short it's a very short story, but it's where Jesus first shares the Last Supper with his disciples. So, uh, Jesus and his disciples have been traveling and teaching around the area. Jesus was doing miracles and teaching the gospel and calling people to repentance. Um, but then it was time for the Jewish celebration of Passover. And to celebrate Passover, they came back to Jerusalem. That's where they had chosen to celebrate. So that's where we'll pick up the story. And this is Mark 14. And in verse 12, it says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they had killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said, Where do you want us to go to eat and prepare that you may eat the Passover? So that's sort of giving us the context of what's uh, the story here. Jesus and his disciples come back to Jerusalem. And there's a celebration. And they've killed a Passover lamb, and they're going to eat it. So where should we get together to eat this Passover meal together? The fact that Jesus first served communion during the Passover meal, that's huge. And it's important to understand the significance of the meaning of that. So before we go forward in this story, I actually want to take you back. I want to look back at what is Passover and why were they celebrating Passover? So, uh, if you got your Bible, you might have just flipped to um, Mark 14, but uh, I'm going to mess you up and I'm going to have you flip back. And I want to look in Exodus really quickly. And I'm going to give you a super quick recap. um, Instead of reading all of Exodus to you, I'm just going to give you a really quick recap. And you'll just have to trust me. Um, Maybe you saw uh, the movie uh, Prince of Egypt. That will also give you a good idea of what's going on here. But the Israelites are living in Egypt, and they are slaves put to work by the Egyptian people, and God says, I'm going to set you free from your captivity. I'm going to set you free from being slaves, and you're going to be your own people. So that sounds awesome, but Pharaoh, of course, said, no, you can't go. You have to stay and be slaves. They were sad about that. God afflicted the Egyptian with 10 plagues to change his mind. So that was, that was how God convinced the Egyptians it would be better for them to let the Israelites go. That's how they became free It's because of those ten plagues. You can go read Exodus and all, all about it. We'll pick up um, after the ninth plague, Pharaoh was still not convinced. and He still was saying, no, you have to stay here and be slaves. So God told Moses that there's going to be one last plague on Pharaoh. And after that, I'm sure he's going to let you go. This is what God said would happen. This is actually in chapter 11 of Exodus. He said, about midnight, I'm going to come into the midst of Egypt, and all of the firstborn in the land will die. Pharaoh's firstborn, the firstborn of the servants, even the firstborn of the animal. So the first child born in every family is going to be killed, and that is how I'm going to convince the Egyptians to let you go. That's a pretty scary threat. That's pretty serious, you know. We just lived, uh, the last couple of years, we lived through a pandemic, which was scary and, and difficult and um, sad at times, but it wasn't nearly as terrifying as this would be. The firstborn child in every single family <laughs> is going to die. So God gave Moses, who was the, the leader that he was speaking to the Israelite people to, he gave Moses some very specific instructions for the Israelites. And I got to imagine when Moses says, "Hey, listen, God's going to come and He's going to kill the firstborn child in every family, unless you listen closely to what I have to say." I got to imagine when Moses says that you're probably paying attention, like, "Okay, what do we got to do to avoid that?" So, um, if you have your Bibles, you can look at Exodus chapter 12. That's where I'm going to look. What, what Moses says to the people, God says to Moses, and Moses says to the people about what they're going to do during this this 10th plague. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to highlight a couple of verses. You can follow along if you want um, in Exodus chapter 12. So Moses uh, gathers the people of Israel and he tells them, listen, um, here's what we're going to do when this plague comes. Every man needs to take for himself a lamb. According to his house of his father, one lamb for his household. So each house needs one lamb. And that lamb should be without blemish. It should be a perfect lamb. Uh, And you will take that lamb and you'll sacrifice it and you will take some of the blood of the lamb and you will put it on the doorpost and the lintel of your house. So uh, imagine like there's a, the outside door to your house is right here. There's a door and you're going to take some blood from this animal. You're going to put some across the doorpost and some on the sides of it. So the front of your door On the top and on the sides is marked with the blood from this animal that you have sacrificed. And then you will uh, cook the lamb, eat the lamb with some unleavened bread. And this is how you should eat it. With a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you should eat it in haste. The belt, the sandals staff that represents it's time to move it's time to get out of Egypt so when you eat this meal together it's not just like okay we're celebrating no this is significant this means tonight we're packed we're ready to go we believe this is our last night here everything's packed up and this is the Lord's Passover in all this preparation the killing of the lamb the putting the blood on the door putting on your belt and your staff and and your unleavened bread, that was all the night before this last plague happened. So when the plague arrived, the Israelites were to be safely inside their house with the blood outside their door and all of their stuff packed and ready to go. You guys tracking with me? And so this is important because God said, um, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And then in verse 13, this is significant, so i put this verse up there. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses, or on the door over your house, where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. That's where the name comes from. And the plague will not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So that's the plan, is they will be safely in their houses, ready to go, with blood over the door, and when the Lord comes through Egypt, he'll see the houses where the blood of the lamb is over the door, and he will pass over that house. So that's how they were spared, that's how they were saved, is because the blood was marking the door of their house. So then he went on to explain, he says, and so this day, meaning this day in the calendar year, this day will be like a memorial and you will keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations or from now on you're going to remember this day. You should keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. And so he, then he goes on to give them some details about how they should celebrate this every single year. This is you should celebrate the Passover and you should get your family together and do these a lot of different details you should do when you celebrate. And then the last thing he adds is this and it's going to it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this? Why are we doing this? Then you will say to them, This is the Passover service of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and he delivered our household. So what we see here is um, he gives them the Lord gives them these instructions to put blood on the doorpost to save them uh, from this tenth plague. But then he also gives them instructions of how to remember this every single year because he wants their children to ask, why are we doing this? Why are we putting blood on our door? Why are we eating unleavened bread? Why are we wearing sandals and holding a staff while we eat? Why? So then when the children ask, because you guys know the children are going to ask, right? You have to explain it to them. And now you're remembering what happened. You're remembering the story. You're remembering... The salvation. And that's what he wanted. He had them establish a tradition of celebrating Passover because he wanted to make sure that they never, ever forget that they had been saved from slavery, that they had been saved from death by the blood of a sacrificed lamb. He wanted to make sure that they remembered that they had been saved. And it, it hadn't been because they had an army, it hadn't been because, because they were really tough or really fast or really good fighting. They were saved because they trusted in God and they sacrificed the lamb. That's really important. So, I'm going to, okay, now that we understand what was happening with Passover and why they were celebrating Passover, let's jump back to Mark 14 again. So, this is what Jesus and his disciples were gathering to celebrate that night. They were celebrating the fact that their people had been saved from slavery the blood of a sacrificed lamb. And they were gathering to celebrate that. And this is when they took their first communion. So picture them, as you you will, sitting at a table, um, sitting around. Maybe you can think of that painting I referred to. Or maybe they're just sitting around a table together, eating, celebrating, just like any family uh, would at a holiday. And if you're in Mark 14, you'll see in verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread... He picked up some bread and he blessed it, broke it, and he handed it to them. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks for the cup. And he also gave them the cup and they drank from it. And he said, this is the, my blood, my new covenant, which is shed for many. So can you imagine, just, just imagine for a second, eating dinner at a friend's house. And they did this. You're sitting with some friends eating dinner. And one of them picks up a piece of bread and says, this is my body, eat Come on, that would be so weird. <laughs> or if they poured a drink and said, Here's some of my blood, drink this. <laughs> what were Jesus' disciples thinking when that happened? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? But he was telling them, Listen, you guys have been sacrificing a lamb to remember the blood that covered your freedom from Egypt. But now I'm giving you a new practice to remember the blood that covers your freedom from sin and from shame and from death. I'm giving you a new tradition, a new um, practice. He says there, and thankfully he explains a little bit to them, he says this is the blood um, which is shed for you, is the blood of the new covenant. That's the phrase he uses, the blood of the new covenant. So what is the new covenant that he's talking about? What is this new deal that he's offering them? You want to know what that is before you drink the blood, right? What covenant am I agreeing to? Just like you would always, you know, read the terms of service before you click that you, are, yeah, you read it, right? Everyone does that. No? But you want to know what you're signing before you sign. So here's the covenant. Anyone who believes in Jesus, who chooses to follow Jesus, will be forgiven of their sin. They'll be given new life, and they'll be invited into open relationship with God. We see this in several different places in in what Jesus said. Things like, um, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. There's several other places where Jesus explains this to them. If you believe in him, you find new life in the Father. And I got to tell you, when I was younger, for me, salvation was about being forgiven of my sins. But as I, the more I have a relationship with the Lord, the, the more I grow in age, the, I've realized that like, as wonderful it is to be forgiven of my sins, the best part of this deal is the new relationship with God. That is the best part of the new covenant is now I have one-on-one conversations with God Almighty all the time. Isn't that incredible? That is the covenant that I've been offered and so have you. It means that every single day, When I wake up, I feel the joy of my Father in heaven. Whether I do well or I do poorly, I am loved by my Father in heaven. I experience the peace, the confidence that comes with his approval. This is the new covenant that Jesus was referring to. And as much as I enjoy it, it's open to everyone else. Anyone who believes in Jesus receives this same joy and peace. This is the new covenant that he was celebrating with his disciples. Um, in, in, in other places, in other Gospels where this story is told, he, they record that Jesus added on there, this do in remembrance of me. He, he said, like, take the bread and eat it. Take the, the drink and, and drink it. And this do in remembrance of me. So he said, keep doing this. Keep celebrating this meal and remember me when you do it. Jesus wants to make sure that his followers, that's you and me, included, he wants to make sure that we never forget that it was a sacrifice of blood that sets us free. Just like God didn't want the Israelites to forget that they had been freed from Egypt, he wants us to never forget that we have been set free by the blood of his sacrifice. And that's why we still celebrate communion today, to remind ourselves it's only because of his sacrifice that we enjoy freedom. So, like I said earlier, I grew up in church, I actually actually literally this church. I grew up going to this church. And so I heard from a young age that Jesus loved me and Jesus died for my sins and um, and if I, you know, follow Jesus, then I would be in heaven someday. I heard it in Sunday school and here in church and stuff like that. You hear this a lot when when you grow up in a church. Jesus loves you. And uh, I knew that. But I also grew up with this other belief. I'm not totally sure where it came from, but this other belief that, if I did lots of good things and was nice to my brothers and sisters and obeyed my parents, then God would be really pleased. God would be really happy. But if I didn't, if I was mean or if I lied or if I stole or, or whatever, then God was, gonna, was not going to be happy. He was going to be pretty upset. And if I did that too many times, I was going to be in trouble. Now I, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you grew up with some thinking, some thinking like that? Maybe no one ever told you that, but you just sort of knew, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, God's not going to be happy, and I'm going to be in trouble. And then, and, and then that could be really, really bad for me because of that whole hell thing that they tell me about. But of course, this is not the truth. The truth is you have been saved by faith in Jesus and faith alone, not by your works. It's a gift from God. Nobody can boast in what they have done because your salvation is not in you. No matter how good or bad you are, it doesn't matter. What matters is that the perfect lamb was sacrificed and that blood is what sets you free from shame. It's what sets you free from sin. It's what sets you free from feeling guilty about what's in your past. You don't have to worry about that anymore. That's behind you now and it's covered by the blood of Jesus, amen? Just like the Israelites, oh, freedom from guilt and shame is a free gift from God. It's available to anyone who believes in Jesus, but you still have to make a choice to accept that. You have to choose to accept his forgiveness, to accept his love. Just like the Israelites in Egypt had to choose to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood over the door. They had to do that. You also have to choose the blood of Jesus over your life. That's a choice you get to make. He's not going to force that on you. So before we celebrate communion together this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that choice. It's, it's an important choice for you to make, that that's who I trust. That's who I'm going to follow. That's what's going to save me, is my faith in Jesus. So I want to encourage you to make that choice. It's a choice that I have to make all the time. And I encourage you, whether you've made that choice before or not, feel free to make that choice again. It's really simple. Um, I'll pray a simple prayer. You can pray with me. Um, but in your heart, you're saying, Jesus, I believe that you are the blood sacrifice for me. You're the the sacrifice that covers me. So I'll pray. You can can pray after me if if you like. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice that sets me free. Today, I choose to trust in you. I trust you to forgive me. I trust you to lead me. And I trust you to provide for me. I'll follow you wherever you lead. Amen. Amen. So if you have made that choice to follow Jesus, then you have received the free gift of freedom and relationship with God. And that is something to celebrate. Amen? And so this is the great part. This is where we get to celebrate our freedom. So I'll have the ushers come forward at this point. Um, what we'll do, the first thing we'll do is they'll pass out the bread. Whoop, that's the wrong one. You guys can go ahead. Um, as they're passing it out, we ask that once you have a piece of bread, you, you just hold that until everybody has a piece, until everybody's ready, and then we'll uh we'll take that together. I will remind you. Uh, That when Jesus, you know, the night that he gave that first communion with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. And you remember what he said. He said, take, eat, this is my body. He was telling his disciples, this represents my broken body. This small piece of bread that you have, or will soon have, represents the sacrifice of Jesus. And it's a reminder to us of why we are so loved by God. Not because we do good things, not because we say fancy prayers, not because we came to church on Sunday morning. We are loved by God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And this is what this is a reminder to us of. Pray really quickly. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice and we thank you for the freedom that you bought for us. You're so good to us. We receive it now. Amen. The ushers will now be passing out the drinks in the same way we did with the bread. I'll ask that once you've, uh, once you've taken it, you can hold it until everybody else has one and we'll take together. Again, I'll remind you of the words of Jesus on the night that he, uh, he gathered with his disciples and they had the first communion. And he said, this is my blood, my new covenant, which was shed for many. this little cup of juice that you're holding now it represents for us the blood of jesus It's a reminder of the blood of jesus and blood reminds us of course of his death on the cross but blood i would say also reminds us of new life so it's not just death that we celebrate but it's new life that we celebrate that's why we can celebrate because we are the ones who have received the new life in him amen Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was poured out um, for our freedom. We also thank you for the new life that you have given to us, Lord, a life of joy and peace uh, in your presence, a life of relationship with you. We thank you for that, Lord. We're grateful for it. Amen. Well, I trust that you are blessed this morning um, hearing the testimony from our team um, and also blessed by uh, the opportunity to celebrate communion with us. Uh, We're glad that you're here with us this morning and pray that you have a a blessed and fun week. Enjoy the uh, 4th of July celebrations and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks.